the West Slot Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, back after a one-week break, a um, couple reasons for that. One, uh, football's over, not a lot going on, and basketball was in a bit of a funk. But uh, I think more importantly, um, Scuzz, congratulations on uh, the latest addition to the Pirate family. Pirate child number six. The boat's getting big. This we, is great. We got, we got a hockey team now, boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have to move up into in the next class of ship. We're up to like dreadnought class or something like that. You know, <laughs> are, are, are we are we past frigate? At this yeah. point, or are we on the frigate now? Yeah. I, I thought we were still in a caravel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyways, guys, congratulations! Yeah, congrats, that, man. That's fantastic news. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's, it's really it's really awesome. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've said from the moment my first child was born that uh, kids are more fun and more work than I other, ever could have imagined. But um, you get the good with the with the hard. So um, so, yeah, we're you know, we're surviving. Uh, I think I'm reasonably like awake and functional right now. I do have a little bit of celebratory whiskey by my side. So hopefully this doesn't go off the rails. <laughs> Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how to do it with two. I have no idea how you how you're gonna do it with three, man. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the the biggest thing, the biggest difference from when. So I'm, our my our first two are two years apart, and the oldest one was still like still a toddler, you know. And now we've got two like so the oldest are now five and three, and. They go like a million miles an hour and they don't slow down. They're like, what do you mean? We had a baby and we got to like rest and recover and get sleep and shit. No, like, let's go party time. (laughs) Um, But I, I, what's what, one thing that's funny um, and same, if you, if you guys ever go there, this will happen to you as well, is that every time you tell somebody that you're having a third kid, they immediately make the, the allusion to moving from a man defense to a zone defense. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. We're already in a goddamn zone defense with two. We're outnumbered. They're too fast for us. Like, we can't cover that shit. <laughs> They're just raining threes down on your head nonstop. I just mean, not... raining you threes. To, you, need got, st- you need to start They're running the wheel or... route. Like, yeah, they, like, yeah. <laughs> two on two, you're already in a zone defense. Um, now it's just, like, zone and somebody's always going to be open. It's like you know, you've got Gronk coming over the middle. How do you how do you defend that? Or yeah. or well, really, you're both trying to tackle Gronk, and the other two are are ruining the kitchen. <laughs> this is yeah, Scuzz. You need the you need the Scuzz model to become sentient as soon as possible, so it can start <laughs> subbing in for you on some of these pods, man. You're gonna. <laughs> I, I not only welcome, but I'm begging our robot overlords to emerge. <laughs> um, speaking of raining threes, uh, yeah. we should talk a little hoops. Um, you know, after the men's basketball team, you know, suffered a brutal loss uh, in Ann Arbor, uh, losing by 20 in a game that was, I mean, even not even that close. Um, you know, it really seemed like that trip to Rutgers uh, was pretty critical as far as, you know, trying to salvage the season at this point. I mean, 
is that is that the tack we're taking? Um, but the fact that they went in, they got the job done against a Rutgers team that's been really, really frisky. I mean, a Rutgers, you know, knocked off Ohio State. They they've looked really good, and we went in, we we got the job done, and then coming back a couple days later, coming back home, uh, Indiana, Aaron fouls on. Holy crap, man! Uh, welcome back. I mean, this is a guy. This is a guy who has struggled with injuries. You know, has only played two games or two or three games this season. Has six points, and I think those were all against Chicago State. Uh, to come off the bench, goes six of seven for three, twenty-one points. Um, and he couldn't miss. I mean, the miss was he got fouled and shot and hit his three free throws. So I mean, and that was the difference in that in that win against Indiana. It's funny. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> right? You, we you have to lead with that. It's so awesome for him. So awesome to be out there. Um, you're, like you said, he's gone through so much. You know, we were watching a video of you know the player. The rest of the team jumped him in the locker room after the game. Um, Collins got emotional in the post-game press conference talking about it. It's just fantastic. I mean, he's he's earned it. He deserves it so much. And at the same time, it's a huge factor in this little two-game win streak we're suddenly on with the kind of a nice, more favorable part of our schedule coming with a little something that could happen. The Beyond that, it's, you know, it's easy to become, if not in love with, fascinated with this goofy team that we are trotting out every night. Um, like, we had 21 bench points in this game, and they were all Aaron Falzone. Um, there were only six guys played more than 20 minutes uh, a game, and we only had six players score in this game. And if you look at the, the rest of the season, it's pretty much been like this. And just... This lineup that we're trotting out there, um, you've got two guards, one of whom, Anthony Gaines, is really kind of like a Swiss Army knife utility man. I wouldn't say he's a true one, a true two, or a true three. He's kind of a guy who's capable of a, of a yeoman performance at any one of those positions. He's certainly not a true one. And then on the flip side, you have Ryan Taylor who looks like he was just built in a lab to be a two. Um, he is a classic off-ball, three-point shooting guard. Neither of these guys are ball handlers, and neither of them are handling the ball. And nominally, right, we've talked about this before, A.J. Turner is like the quote-unquote ball handler. In reality, watching the Rutgers game, watching the Northwestern game, we don't have a ball handler. And it's funny... It's almost like this bizarro look back to the entire non-Juice Thompson period of the Bill Carmody experience, where at that entire era, no one was carrying the ball like for any period of time. And it was basically like, we're going to run the Princeton offense if we get across half court. How we get across half court, we're just going to see. God forbid they press us because we're going to be in just, it's going to be our living nightmare if they do press us. And this team is like, not to throw shade, but I think everyone's going to agree here. This team is like those teams with athletes. All of these guys, Pardon, Law, Turner, Gaines, are all good athletes. 
They're all jumpers, they're all movers, but they're not ball handlers, and they're certainly not point guards. And it's just crazy to watch this collection of players, you know, especially when they're getting a winning result, eke this out because we're just playing a totally unconventional form of basketball out there. And at least right now, it's working. I think it's important to note, though, as as you're making that comparison, that it's manifesting in a very different way with this team than it was with the Carmody teams where, and, and I think, I think you're giving a little bit of short shrift to like the TJ Parkers and even, even the Ben Johnson's uh, of, of yesteryear that. Oh, we'd love to have TJ Parker right now. (laughs) (laughs) But, But like, what's interesting, this team has no trouble breaking the press. I mean, they got pressed by Indiana at points and, and like, they're they're all athletic enough and good enough with the ball. I mean, even well, that's Harden the thing. can it's, put the can put the ball on the floor a little. It's bit. weird to watch. Yeah, like to watch Law and Turner tag teaming it up the court. They're both you know tall. Yeah, and, and and Law is perfectly capable of of protecting the ball in that type of situation. I think where where it is such a great departure from past NU teams is is the offense, and we've we've seen the offense at Northwestern stall a lot. Um, but this is an offense where interestingly, again, almost everyone on the court can get their own shot and can get a decent shot, but without that kind of focal point, um, and, and especially if you think about what, what Juice Thompson and Brian McIntosh both brought to the table was the ability to attack defenses, uh, driving to the basket in that if a defender played them too tight to guard against the three, uh, they could blow past and get to the rim. And this team especially lacks that ability. Um, it is it is all about ball movement, open three-point shots, and the post-up post game. There is no, there's no drive and kick uh, ability on this team right now. And, it, and, it, and, to, and to your point, John, yeah, it is, it is just strange. I think where where i'm where i'm starting to to come down we talked about this a little bit on on i think our last podcast maybe two podcasts ago but that's the issue where basically every game was coming down to 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 Vic Law and Derek Parton especially offensively and then on the defensive side um and these guys were just being asked to do so much they were both always in foul trouble and if you look at at Vic's stat line you can really see where things have started to kind of go off the rails since since the beginning of January in that he didn't score less than 13 points in in any game uh, up through December 30th and most most of those games he was up around 20 he hasn't scored more than 13 since the start of Big 10 season proper five against Michigan State 13 against Illinois and Iowa didn't play against Michigan, obviously was injured, is probably still nursing a little bit of that, only played, you know, only got six points against Rutgers, 11 against Indiana, and it's his shot, his shooting percentage has dropped off. He's he's one of 15, one, no, I'm, it's worse, one of 18 from three uh, since the Illinois game. He He's really lost, um, lost his confidence on the offensive side. At the same time, I think other teams have identified that if we shut down Vic Law, we shut down Northwestern. And that's why in these last two games, to see Taylor hit some threes and do well against Rutgers, to have Falzone emerge, that's the only way this team is going to win games going forward is somebody else has to come forward and put pressure on the defense. 
Pardon is going to get his points down low. He's just that good of a center. And teams are taking away Vic Law. We've got to go. We've got to have somebody else emerge. And thank God for foul zone in this past game. Yeah, for sure. And and another thing that's that's really important is like yes, like you said, Law's three point shooting has tailed off. He remains a top flight perimeter defender. And it's not for nothing that guys like Romeo Langford and Justin Smith were Brick City from three in this game for Indiana. Indiana was four of 21 from three-point land in this game. And that's not an accident. Our guys close out. Um, Turner... Well, well, if you're going to talk about shutting down Romeo Langford, ain't, ain't Vic Law that was uh, that was shutting him down. Anthony Gaines has emerged mm-hmm. as a yeah. major defensive stopper. And... I, I mean, I'm not going to say that he's better than Vic yet, but is I mean he's he's probably emerged as our number one guy against opposing guards. Yeah, well, for sure. And I mean, part of that is because he's the only straight up guard defender that we have that you know is is up to that specific task. You're absolutely right. And between Law, Gaines, and Turner, and then Pardon down low, it's a great defensive starting lineup, and that really matters because again, I think. If you look at the kind of players who give us trouble, you know, Jawan Morgan, who's kind of a slash kind of guy, um, gave us, you know, he did the most damage for Indiana in this game. I think you're going to see as the season goes on, guards that are really capable of getting into the hole and driving, teams that run a drive and kick kind of game and are really effective at doing that are going to give us some problems. But teams that try to trot out a bunch of wings, spread the floor, and just try to shoot threes, like, you can't really do that against us. Like, we play good on-ball defense at the perimeter. Um, And it matters. I mean, again, it's so wild to watch this team composed of these guys. I mean, again, let no one say this isn't a great collection of ball players. It really is. Um, Turner is a great player who's basically miscast. Taylor, it's funny, people have been talking about, you know, I know Inside N, you had an article about this, that expectations were, you know, that for some expectations were higher than Taylor, who had, you know, rained down points playing at a lower level of competition. Um, I just, the guy's stroke is the purest thing I've ever seen. His shot gets off in two seconds, and it looks gorgeous every time it leaves his hand. It's just... He's not, like, it's not the same situation. You're in the Big Ten. Like, he can't just bring the ball up and take shots whenever he wants. Like, he's it doesn't work that way. He's going to take all the open looks he gets. I trust him to shoot all day. It was hilarious. He was jinxed in the Indiana game. The announcer jinxed him. He missed, what, three straight free throws, I think? Yeah, he, he missed one free throw all season. Right. And the announcer's like, yeah, he's a 97% free throw. Yeah. He's only missed one. And then he misses three in a row. Yeah, so I blame that on the announcers. But I just, his stroke is gorgeous. And it's like, no one's, they're not all going to drop. But it's like, he's a great offensive player in the role that he has. Of course, Law is great. Of course, Pardon is great. Gaines is great on the defensive end. Um, and Turner is great nominally as a small forward even though he doesn't get to play that most of the time um it's a great group of guys trying to make something out of this unconventional thing and with defense and like you guys said if just enough scoring can come from the bench i think it's going to be really interesting with foul zone now because i think the fact of the matter remains one he's still recovering from injury um and two honestly He's closer to Ryan Taylor 
in terms of style than he is to any of the other players. He's not the defender that Law or Gaines is by any stretch of the imagination, especially while he's not hurt. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Collins can keep, you know, can really find a way to harness this lightning in a bottle and get him on the floor at the right time to take the right shots um, because we need it. That was one really interesting thing watching the other night is I, I thought Falzone played pretty decent defense. You guys remember two years ago, um, coming off of the NCAA tournament game, we were losing Sanjay Lumpkin, and everyone was penciling in Falzone to be the guy that was just going to take over for Lumpkin. And we were all like, yeah, but he can't play defense like Lumpkin. Like, that's not going to work. And it didn't. And then and then he got injured. Um, but I thought we saw a much better defensive effort from him last night than uh, or two nights ago, whenever that was, than, than we've seen previously. The other thing I think is important in that in that same vector is that Falzone's a vet and he's been with this team for a number of years. And unlike all the other guys on the bench who are either freshmen or transfers, um, AJ Turner obviously had you know was a redshirt had had a sit out year from from transferring, etc. But Falzone can actually lean back on experience playing with Vic, playing with Pardon. I think that's huge, and I'm. I'm hopeful that we found a little bit of a nugget here that can kind of help this team going forward because they they just need somebody else. And it's funny we we've talked a lot about how you know oh there's these ten guy every year we talk about oh here are the ten guys it's going to be a ten man rotation they finally have depth <laughs> and it never is there's always injuries or young guys don't play as much as we expect them to or yada yada yada. What's funny is that even with the addition of Falzone into the mix. It was the same deal against Indiana. You had the five starters that were all above thirty, and then uh, above thirty minutes, and then Falzone had twenty, and everybody else was single digit. So it was it wasn't it, it, he wasn't eating into the starters minutes. He was eating into the bench minutes, which I guess is good because we weren't getting much production from the bench. I don't know. You could we do that we, a couple. We weren't ways, getting but... any product. We weren't getting any production from the bench. Uh, Falzone's the only one who scored off the bench. And like like somehow we gotta get we gotta get a little bit of rest for for the likes of law, uh, gains, et cetera. Like we got, we got to find ways to, to, to keep their minutes, maybe more around like 31, 32 instead of 34 and 36. And, I just, and par- I, I, pardon too. I mean, you, you know, pardon playing 36, 36 against Indiana and, you know, sitting on four fouls, you know, for whatever reason, Barrett Benson hasn't been able to come in and spell pardon the way I think we would have wanted him to. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny too with because in addition to everything we're saying, <clears throat> it's not like we have a point guard like waiting in the wings right now. Like we haven't signed that guy yet. Um, I think we have a target. I think that we we're targeting a top 100 2020 point guard right now, um, who I think we're gonna really be in the mix to get him. It, it, amongst other top guards because a I think Collins is building something here but also because they know they're going to get a chance to play right away but in the meantime you know a, a grad transfer accepted we're going to have to figure out how to make this goofy thing work um, how, how do you feel about Greer or has he just like not played enough to really even evaluate I so I mean again when I've seen Greer he I mean we have to keep in mind to right um, this is a guy who classified up. I think physically, yeah, he's basically a high school <clears throat> senior, right? Physically, I just don't think he's there yet. You see a heady ball handler, but 
I mean, I don't see a guy who at least defensively there is 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 there is there to do it. And I think I'm gonna guess that that's probably part of the reason that I think to your point about gains, right? I mean, if are you gonna are you gonna take gains off the court so you can put Greer on the court? You know what I mean? And lose yeah. everything that gains brings yeah. you on the defensive end of the ball. So it's. It's really interesting to say, <clears throat> sort of to the same point about the, the short rotation that you were talking about, Scuzz. Um, it's funny, with Law being hurt, and you know, I'm sure Collins would go to, go to his grave not saying this, but I think an implicit understanding that we weren't going to have a chance against Michigan three weeks ago. Pete Nance basically played the entire game, and I watched a bunch of the second half of that game when the game had long been decided, and both teams were basically in cruise control. <clears throat> and Nance is, he is seeing him, I think, talking about, I haven't actually been to watch this team play at the new Welsh Ryan. And like, obviously, with all of us with kids and everything, it's like, I want to get out there. But of all the guys I want to see in person, Nance is one of them, is probably number one. Because on TV, he looks, I the closest thing is, I remember when LaMarcus Aldridge was a, was a freshman at Texas, the first time I saw him on TV, I just looked at him compared to everybody else and was like, oh my gosh, like that guy's seven feet tall and he look and he's like a three. And I don't understand how that even works. <clears throat> That's what Nance looks like when he's on the court. He's 6'10 and a long 6'10, yet he's clearly not a five and kind of isn't really a four either. He looks like a three out there. And, but you can tell he's just so raw. And I think it was really smart for Collins to play him in that Michigan game where the outcome was probably not going to be really in doubt. And you're just to log minutes because you can see he's not a finished product. He's not ready. But you look at the guy just standing there for one second and you see why he was a top 100 recruit. His just, his body is insane. Like you, you look at a guy and you're like, if a guy like this has a stroke going, how's anyone going to stop that shot? Um, so you can see, like, I, I certainly anyone who's like, well, I thought Pete Nance was going to ride in on a white horse and like save us, and it's not happening. Like, don't give it time. Well, that I guy mean, is. Look, I mean, a, look, yeah. Look to the Rutgers game um, where he did play 13 minutes and was uh, two of two with. And two of two from the line. So he had seven points. Um, one of those was a three. You know, he, he was logging minutes against Rutgers, and he didn't play at all against Indiana. So, right. Just, I mean, he's he's figuring it out. You know, I mean, he's he's young. He's a guy that, you know, in theory, there could be a redshirt in there someplace for him. I mean, we always forget. I mean, Law did it, partly because of injury. But, you know, Law's, compare the player Law was as a freshman to what he is as a fifth-year senior. I mean, it's... Like it's night and day. So, I mean, Nance is going to develop, I think, in a big way. I think Cop is going to too. But yeah, right now we're we're riding this goofy train forward, and at least right now it's working. Yeah, it did, it, it was obviously didn't help with Indiana. Nance is injured. Uh, not sure if he's going to be back for this Wisconsin game coming up. But the other interesting thing there, and you guys were just talking about the stats. Like, yeah, he he has moments, but in thirty minutes against Michigan. He only attempted five field goals in those 13 minutes against Rutgers. He only attempted two in nine minutes against Rutgers. Miller cop attempted five field goals. It, fe- it feels like there's maybe a reluctance to shoot there. Right. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, I, it looks, and it looks like when you watch him out there, it looks like he's figuring things out. Like it yeah. looks like he's, 
it, he is not a finished product right now. But man, I mean, you you look at the guy looks like an NBA basketball player, and you just you know if if his if his mentality and his understanding of the game catches up, you know, you could be looking at all Big Ten player in two or three years. So this matchup with this matchup with Wisconsin will be interesting, just because they're so Indiana was a very top heavy team with. Uh, two players who really, really dominate their scoring, and that's uh, Morgan and um, uh, Langford. Wisconsin is similar with Ethan Happ, um, far away their most dominant scorer. Happ versus Pardon is going to be fascinating to watch. And then Dimitri uh, Trice that is, is their number two. I have to think that Gaines is going to be glued to that guy the whole game. This is going to be a really a really interesting uh, game. Wisconsin always plays really tough D, so our offense our offensive production is is certainly a question mark. But I mean, and, and it's it's always tough to go up there. I mean, yes, we have won a couple games, um, so it's not impossible. But you know, playing up in Madison is all has you know always been rough for us. Yeah, and then they they had this dude Rovers who who went off against Illinois last game. I know they upset number two Michigan. Um, so it's like they they're doing crazy things, but the, the matchup doesn't seem insane to me. But maybe I'm maybe I'm drinking too much too much Kool Aid coming off of this uh, Indiana victory. I mean, they've got eight players averaging double digit minutes, you know, four, 14 minutes and up. So you know, they are they're deeper than we are, just straight up. And if we get into foul trouble, which with Ethan Happ, it's going to be very hard not to get into foul trouble. Just his dominating presence inside is going to make it very difficult. You know, Pardon's going to get fouls. And, you know, he always, you know, Pardon always is sitting at four fouls by the end of the game. And, um, you know, we're going to need Benson to come in and, and play some defense and, you know, take up some of those fouls so Pardon can finish the game. And against Happ, that's going to be a tall order. I think it's funny, you know, we've, to this point in the season, a few twists and turns accepted. We've basically played the top of the conference and the bottom of the conference, right? We've played both of the top two teams in the conference. We've played Indiana uh, twice. Indiana, though, already seems to be kind of, I don't know, they're 3-5 and five in conference right now. They've lost five in a row. They seem to be kind of descending. Rutgers, bottom of the conference team. Illinois, bottom of the conference team. And now we're really going to be playing like the vast meat of the conference. So if we aspire to prove that we can really throw punches with all of these teams, I mean, we're playing a ton of them, right? You know, we got Wisconsin on the coming up, Penn State, Iowa, um, Nebraska, Ohio State. I mean, these are all teams, you know, all clustered in the same place right now. And, uh, you know, I'd say if, there's, if there was a time to put a run together, this was it. I heard someone saying that the Big Ten could get eight teams in the dance this year. And that, to me, just is laughable. Like, there's no way the Big Ten gets eight. Um, they only got four last year. Um, you know, so more than likely, we're looking at six or seven. And, you know, we're sitting right now at eighth place in the, in the conference. So we're going to need to put a run together. We're going to need to get some good wins because – we don't really have like a, a signature win on the schedule. Um, so if, if we're going to look to go to the postseason, you know, now is the time that we need to start picking it up. You know, we got Wisconsin, uh, Maryland, you know, Maryland ranked number 13 in the country right now. We got them coming up uh, next week as well. So got our work cut out for us and uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, we're able to do. 
I want to pivot real quick to to football, and you know, we may mention um, John had you know we talked about this last uh, two weeks ago. Um, we put up this uh, deep dive into the football recruiting, and hopefully, uh, you've had a chance to go to westlawpirates.com and read through that. You know, very very detailed. Um, you know, we broke down at each position group and looked at the way the players developed from when they came in as recruits, kind of basing where they were uh, as, as far as star level and, and kind of how, how they were anticipated to, to play and then watch them develop and kind of see where they were when they, when they left. Um, uh, like I said, I hope you had a chance to, to really dive into it. Um, there's a lot of really, really good stuff there. I, I, I think we do want to, you know, John, you'd made mention that, a couple position groups kind of surprised you as you were doing the research on this. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Sure. Yeah. So we'll, I think there are two places I want to drill down tonight and and we'll talk about it tonight. And, you know, down the road, again, all position groups are covered. So if you guys want to specifically go over a specific position group that we don't cover, give us a shout and let us know. Um, The first place I think that's good to start tonight is offensive line because it was the impetus for doing this project in the first place. It's funny. Um, I was reading Inside NU was doing their position recaps for the season this week. And I think the day before yesterday, or yes, just yesterday, they did offensive line. And they really ended up coming down in a very similar area to um, what we t- touched on. And um, one of the things that they talked about was, I think, they gave Jared Thomas a little bit lower of a grade for this season than I think I would have given. But I think part of the reason for that um, is that I think a lot of people still in the back of their minds have Jared Thomas's performance at the start of the 2017 season um, in the back of their head and how big of a disaster that was. And that was one of the really interesting things that we were able to kind of flesh out. Everything that went into that, that just madness at the start of the 2017 season. And kind of how that is emblematic of the overall problems we've had in the offensive line for a while. So I think one of the big things that came out of of the analysis of the offensive line was there are no shortage of great offensive linemen. Um, In the window that we covered, 2010 through 2017, that gives you, you know, Brandon Vitable, Ian Park, Brad North, Tommy Doles, Jared Thomas, and Rashawn Slater. That's six great offensive linemen for my money. Now, I get it if your mileage on Thomas may vary. I find him to be this wonderful bowling ball of a center who can pull and just blow guys off the ball. Um, but here's the thing. Those six guys are all great players, and they're all from different recruiting classes. And as I said in the piece, ultimately, your feeling about Northwestern's offensive line is probably going to come down to how you feel about the second best offensive lineman in any given class in any given year. And what we saw from our analysis is there's almost always a big drop off in every class between the best guy and the second best guy. And the other big thing we saw from our analysis that is one of those things that I think we're all subconsciously aware of, but it's one thing to think about it that way and another thing to stare at the numbers. A lot of times, you know, we have 18 to 20 offensive linemen on scholarship at any given time. And that means that we're giving out three to four scholarships a year for offensive linemen. And that is a lot of scholarships to be giving out 
without hitting on two offensive linemen in the same year in any particular year. And the, the whole problem that that's exacerbated by is there's a reason we're giving out that many scholarships. It's because freshman and redshirt offensive linemen, uh, redshirt freshman offensive linemen aren't supposed to play because offensive line is hard. Guys have to work together. There's a lot to learn, and you need to bulk up and gain strength. And basically what happened was there was this whole period of time, 2015, 2016, where with the exception of that one guy in those classes, we weren't generating talent on the offensive line. And not nearly enough to cover the fact that as we established this true cut grade for offensive line, you need to be able to get all of your players out of redshirt sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Those are the guys who have to play. And if you try to violate that, it's going to be a huge problem. And that's what we did in 2017. The whole reason Rashawn Slater played and the whole reason Jared Thomas played was because we knew that we had a solid center um, in that we had a solid center coming up in Brad North and we had a solid guard, right guard in Tommy Doles. And then we had problematic left tackle and left guard positions and an open right tackle position. And the coaches knew that they had several years of lean pickings on the offensive line, but then this great redshirt freshman guard slash center in Thomas and a great true freshman tackle in Slater. And they figured, what the heck, let's roll our dice with the talent and try to play those guys. And as we all know, it was a giant disaster. And after a couple of weeks, they went right back to the line that basically started in the pinstripe bowl, except with Slater starting a tackle. And the big takeaway from all of this is, it's not about having impact guys. It's you're giving out boatloads of scholarships. And that means you've got to hit on a couple of players in at least a couple of classes. If you don't, the depth is going to catch up with you. You can't hide. It's not like other positions. You've got to have the guys. Yeah, and so when you rated each unit across a number of different rankings, um, not only was O-line towards the bottom in terms of like their grade, but they had, they were tied for the worst uh, hit rate, basically – um, performance adjusted for the quantity of scholarships. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a real problem. I also really like John, where you ended, where you ended when you, when you kind of concluded at the end of the, at the end of the story here on, on what this means going forward. And that's the idea that Kurt Anderson has a real opportunity to impact Northwestern in a positive way. We've got position coaches and a lot of other spots doing really, really good things. If they can continue doing those things and Curtin Anderson can step things up with this offensive line, that can pay some real dividends for Northwestern. This isn't a case where you have to sacrifice somewhere else. You know, you, you have to move resources over to the O-line to improve it. That's that's not the problem. Um, and that's that's pretty exciting, especially given his pedigree and, and the fact that people have been frustrated with Cushing for, for quite a while. Quite a while. Absolutely, and I think one of the one of the other things. I mean, I I brought up Wisconsin, right? Who everyone knows is an offensive line factory, 
But it's funny in the context of this piece to drill down on that because obviously, I mean, we we get emails from readers, right? We've talked about them on the pod before being like, you know, when is Northwestern's recruiting going to take that, ex, that next step? And it's like, it's not really the recruiting when you look at the offensive line and Wisconsin's a great place to juxtapose that, right? If you look at this unreal line, the Badgers trotted out this past year, first of all, Two seniors, two juniors, one sophomore. So that goes right to the point we're talking about, right? They're pulling out two top performers from every class. But of those two seniors and two juniors, two were big line recruits and two they converted out of tight ends because the Badgers are awesome at grooming linemen. That's what coaching does. So it's like that's Kurt Anderson's opportunity. It's like, there you go. You've got, like I said, the last class, this 2019 recruiting class has four guys. Um three developmental types and one big recruit in Zach Franks. And it's like, so here's your opportunity. If you hit, if you produce two great offensive linemen out of that class, that, that might just be all that it takes. Who was the, uh, who was the O-line coach under Walker? Cause, cause it was, this was not a problem during the Randy Walker. And you think about Trey Essex, you think about Zach Streif, like, Austin King, it's like we we were producing offensive line talent, and it wasn't all uh, recruiting based. Well, I always think about a guy who was in the running for the job we're talking about right now, Al Netter, um, who is what oh, Yale's yeah, yeah. offensive coordinator right now. Al Netter is the he is basically the model for what you're trying to achieve. I'm just going off the top of my head, but I believe Al Netter was a tight end slash tweener tackle who weighed mm-hmm. something like 230 or 240 pounds coming out of high school. And in his freshman and like sophomore year, he put on like 50 to 60 pounds of muscle and be, and, and, and just size and became this like close to 300 pounds, six, 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 seven great tackle for the rest of his career. It's like, that's coaching. That's the kind of thing you're trying to do. Um, it's not all recruiting. It's just the development of the players, and Northwestern, again, it's like you're halfway home. All the guys we named earlier are all great offensive linemen. But again, there are 18 to 20 guys on scholarship at any given time. You've got to produce more than one great success in, in, in a class. You, it just has to happen, and that's coaching. Um, you also wanted to talk a little bit about the running backs. Um, you know, you... You think Northwestern was, running backs? This was the surprise. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you think Northwestern running backs, and you know, Justin Jackson comes to mind. You know, he was amazing uh, for four years. You know, Venrick Mark was really, really good. Um, you know, you, you think of, of these just top-notch running backs, but you drill down. What's what's the story with the with the RBs? This was the this was the shocking part of this whole thing. Um, and I, you know, I wrote about it when we went over the running backs that, you know, the offensive line was the impetus for this. <clears throat> the running backs ended up being the big takeaway. Um, it was just basically the short of it is um, there are way more running backs on scholarship than you think there are. <laughs> and in any given year, there could be as many as 10 and Northwestern tends to always have a great starter. Um, that's not always true, but it was certainly true through the whole Justin Jackson era and certainly true for the one year of Venrick Mark that we had. Um, and you could argue this past year, which wasn't part of our model, um, if Jeremy Larkin doesn't get hurt, 
um, you're you're there, and he's he's the bell cow. Um, I mean, you could you could say Larkin slash Bowser, right? Sure, and then like the discovery of Bowser, which we'll get to in a second because that goes to something that that relates to all this that I want to talk about in a little bit. But and then furthermore, doubling down, um, several of these seasons, for example, uh, the twenty seventeen window. You have Justin Jackson as your starter. You have Jeremy Larkin as your backup. That's great. <clears throat> the year before, you have Justin Jackson as your starter. You have John Moten as your backup. Fine. Okay. Sure. And then comes the abyss. And this is the thing that it just was so shocking to actually go back and look at this. That, first of all, in theory, in the 2014 window, which comp- comprises all the classes from 2010 to 2014 in theory we could have started venric mark with justin jackson as the backup and solomon vault as the number three running back that's like i'll take that over any team like i like what team in the country wouldn't want that lineup right now like alabama's not turning that down like that's an awesome group of running backs and the reality was so far from that um the reality is Trayvon Green started that season at running back. And he started that season at running back only for a little bit before Jackson took over. Um, because Mark, because of everything, the way his career ended, had transferred out. Um, and we had four other running backs on that roster with offers from Notre Dame, Texas, Stanford, and Utah. And none of them were playing. And by that point, several of them had either left the program or were playing other positions by that point. Um, and that this that this same time period, you have a total of four of the ten running backs we offered scholarships to over that period of time didn't finish their careers at Northwestern. We had one high-profile legal issue. We had a couple of high-profile disciplinary issues within the position. It was just chaotic. And I think the one big thing that we came down for is like Justin Jackson – we all give him tons of credit, but you can't give him enough credit for the fact that he was able to absorb so much production. And it's funny, Scuzz, when we first talked about this, you were like, you know, in effect being like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. This is like our most productive position. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. <laughs> like Jackson is like Jackson, the production that he generated, not to mention the production that Mark generated prior to this model i mean he's well i mean within the model not within 2014 but during his junior year which was absolutely phenomenal you've got these bell cow running backs having these great seasons but if jackson had gotten hurt at any given time for example during the pinstripe bowl year it would have been john moton and if it wasn't john moton it really couldn't have been anybody else and you kind of fast forward and you look at this season, right? We started the season with Jeremy Larkin and Moten, and that's fantastic. But then injuries happened. And basically when the injuries to those top two guys happened, it was an absolute disaster until a true freshman emerged like a hero to lead us. And there was a period of time where it sure didn't look like that was going to happen. And it's the kind of thing where on one hand you can be like, well, yeah, but like reasonably, should you need anything more than a top one or two running backs? Well, okay. The Justin Jackson era validates that. I mean, 
if not if he stays healthy. If your starting running back is great and he doesn't get hurt, great. That's what Jackson did. Um, but I would argue that, one, you need that depth, and we saw that this past year. But, two, there's something that it's more that's more difficult to quantify, and that is – and I talked about this in, in this in this section, is defensive line, right? Just in practice on a daily basis, right? Gastown is being pushed by Trent Goins or Trevor Kent or Ernest Brown or just all these guys who are just sweating excellence out there, right? These 8 to 12 high-performing guys that we have that are just going at each other to steal each other's jobs all day. You talk about next man up. I mean, that's it. Those guys are just a machine. And you and it, you can't quantify how much better they're all making themselves. Whereas Jackson, I look back and I think, you know, gosh, what was, you know, it was him. Like from the very beginning, we just hitched that yoke to, you know, put that yoke over his back. And we're like, you know, you are pulling the wagon for four years, my friend. Uh, <laughs> best of luck. Um and I kind of wonder, you know, I, you know, again, it's like it's apples and oranges. But you take a team like Alabama, right? They stockpile these five star running backs, and then they're all just fighting for reps out there. Um, and you know, I would just hope down the road that we get something like this um, because I, it was kind of shocking to see the lack of depth below the surface. And you know, another thing when when you look at the depth and you use Alabama as the example, and you they have two or three running backs and they're all getting playing time so they're all staying fresh yes good point great point and i mean it's like we're all due respect to future you know chief of geriatric medicine chad hanaoka (laughs) but but it's not supposed to get that far down the depth chart um and it's funny too because and this is something else that i know we wanted to talk about just because it's it's bubbling up right now i think you know could be even by the time we go to air within the next week or two, we may sign our 2019 running back. The 2019 running back that we've all been talking about, that big void that's missing. Um, because right now you're looking at um, everything that we have just said is absolutely going to be true heading into next season. <clears throat> we have a what looks like a great starting running back, Isaiah Bowser. Fantastic. True sophomore. Already has emerged as like this pile mover, you know, already, you know, we're all in love with him. You know, I have an Isaiah Bowser t-shirt, like we're all ready to go. And then John Moten backing him up. Great. Fifth year senior, John Moten. Fantastic. We've all, we all love what we get out of him. And then it's a big drop off. You really going to sell Drake Anderson that short? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Not to throw shade. I just, Drake Anderson was a two-star recruit. And he was a two-star recruit. He's basically, he's a slight-framed guy with a lot of speed. And that's great. I mean, that's great. And he's, obviously, we know the pedigree, right? Um, he's a guy with a lot of potential. He's a third, he's he's definitely a guy you look to as a great third-down running back, right? Like a faster, more athletic version of Chad Hanaoka. A guy who you can you can put him back there. He can block. He can get out into the flats and, you, you know, take a swing pass and really turn it into something. But... You know, and because you've but, talked but, about this. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you've talked about this before. You want a pile mover. I know, you know, and I know you love Bowser. 
because of the idea that that he that he moves the pile and that he 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 gets those extra yards. Well, well um, he can he can run behind the zone blocking scheme that Northwestern has used for right. you know the last five years now. Um, Anderson ain't ain't gonna operate well behind that because right. that requires you to to run through contact um, as you're picking your hole, and he's a speed guy. You know, go back to the Kevin Wilson. 2000 offense in which uh anderson's dad was dynamite we had the offensive linemen lining up with super wide splits uh so the holes were big you were, we were spreading the defensive line out which also you know uh slowed down or added time to how long it took a defensive end to get around the edge to the quarterback we had our outside receivers in 2000 if you go back and watch tape our outside receivers are like three feet from the out of bounds line. Um, maybe not, it's, it's maybe not quite, quite that far out, but compare that to now where we run a lot of sets with two, three, or even four receivers pretty close to the edges of the offensive line is a dramatically different offense that we're running now. Who's to say that we couldn't go back to some of that maybe, but um, the reality is, is he's not a great fit for our running style. Right. And, and so here's the thing, doubling down on that, we don't know this for sure, but it sure looks like we're about to sign a 2019 running back, and he's basically Drake Anderson. They're basically the same player, same frame, same size, same speed, same two-star pedigree. It's the same type of player. And for a lot of people wringing their hands over that, first of all, you kind of should be wringing your hands over that. Um and but there's a really simple explanation for it and it didn't really jump out to me until i actually went and looked at the data of a running backs that we offered in the 2019 class up until this potential guy we're about to sign he basically makes running back number 5 that we offered in this class um we basically offered four true running backs in this class <clears throat> Ever like we only offered scholarships to four guys, and two of those guys were clear long shots, like guys we most likely were not going to get. Um, and that left two, and one of them we had a legit shot of getting, and he was the backup plan. But the short of it is, all the chips were in the Jarrell Brock basket. That's it. Just that's the truth. That's what the situation was. I guarantee, and the coaches probably would never talk about it, but Louis Ianni came over knowing that Brock was his guy. He was the guy who had groomed Brock when he was at Iowa State. And he thought that he, that as we all did, that Northwestern was the front runner to get him. Jarrell Brock was the plan. He was going to be the back in that class. And when we didn't get him, we had one backup. It didn't come through. And, and that was it. We're scrambling. Um so everyone doesn't completely lose their minds. We have already signed a great running back in the class of 2020, Cameron Porter from Cincinnati, who is basically like he's Jeremy Larkin, but not yeah. Jeremy Larkin. They're the same region, same pedigree. They're both incredibly highly rated at about the same level. The difference is Larkin is a speed cutback. Porter is like a bowling ball. Like he's going to be like 5'11", 220. Um, and 
there. But I mean, he's he's an every down style back. He will be coming. I wouldn't like. I would give you odds on Cam Porter classifying up to join Northwestern a year earlier. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying don't be like shocked if it does happen. Um, because I, I, I'll, I'll say I'd be shocked if it does happen. Here's where I think like the interim solution might be coming from. Um, apparently we're, we're, we're sussing out grad transfers right mm-hmm. now. Yes. And one of those grad transfers is a guy named Charlie Booker, the third, uh, who would be coming from Harvard didn't put up a lot of stats in 2018, but uh, led the Ivy league the, the year before. Now that's not, you know, that that's not your starting running back most likely, but the idea that, that he's someone that could come in and spell Bowser probably have a similar running style. He's from Houston, five, nine, 200 pounds. Um, this is a guy that you would think can run through some contact that, that starts to get you feeling a little bit better about the running back uh, situation. Um, Hull is uh, he's listed a little bit a little bit bigger than Drake. Um, he seems to have um, uh, he, he, the way people talk about him. He seems like maybe he's an underrated type guy. Uh, Maple Grove High School, Minnesota is not is not known as a football powerhouse, but we should say Evan Hall. We haven't mentioned him actually, right? He's Evan yeah. Hall from right. Yeah, and so like he he's pretty lightly recruited. That's 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 for sure, but I wonder if some of that is just, he's just coming from a bit of a quiet place. You would think though, and you made this point as we were all texting about this earlier in the week, John, that the Gophers have not uh, have not jumped in on him and that um that might be be a little uh, well. Worrisome. Actually, actually, they've th- there's there's a recruiter from Minnesota listed on Rivals as having um, going after him. Now they didn't they didn't give him an offer, and I wonder I wonder how that all played out if he you know if he declined interest there early on. But well, um, we're, we're going to find out if they want him really quickly because yeah, he's so, going to be a wildcat, I'm sure. But a guy um, named Matt Simon is is like and when, and when there's a coach listed on the rivals website, I mean that's an indication that there's something there. Even though the guy's there wasn't probably an been offer. to his house or something. Yeah, yeah, but, like there was something there, some like sussing out of of potential interest, and maybe Minnesota got another player and said, "Hey, no, we're moving on, etc." But um, but that is an interesting, like the fact that he doesn't hold an offer from Minnesota. He never actually got an offer there. That is a bit of an indictment. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's like, it's a subtle thing, but it's like your, like if we jump, if we leapfrog to 2020 Cam Porter, like that shirt ain't going to be red for very long. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that, that the, the blowtorch is being held to that thing right now. So right off the bat, you're like, well, okay, you've got. Isaiah Bowser is a junior. You've got Cam Porter as a freshman. They're both really strong bull running backs. That's great. Um, but again, we're in the exact same thing. And the difference between, you know, saying we've got uh, Isaiah Bowser and Cam Porter versus we've got Isaiah Bowser, Jarrell Brock, and Cam Porter. It's like, again, Ooh. it's that big thing. Now, again, that's not to fault anybody. It's like, I, I think I any thought he had him. And we all thought that we had Jarrell Brock. Uh, right up until he put that ISU hat on. So um, again, it happens, and you got to scramble. But again, it does dovetail with this whole thing that it's like Northwestern always has that great guy at the top. But it, the deeper you get down, you start to get a little nervous. So again, let's hope that uh, that Ianey can can turn the page on that going down the road. Well, just 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 to dovetail this a little bit too, it's 
you know, John, when we when we were having our back and forth about you know running back, and when and when you step back and look at it, like it's it's clearly a, a chaotic mess um, of all the folks that have been in and out. Now it's not without you know some really really strong talent at the top, and to my point, has has been the the core of this Northwestern team for uh, probably seven years running now, maybe longer. Um, in fact, maybe for the whole, the whole successful, well, I guess, I guess going back to like 20, 2012 when, when Venrick got on the scene. Um, yeah, yeah. It so, was so the last seven it was, years. Or it so. was rough right before that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, before that it was dominant, you know, it was Persa for two years. It was, Kafka the year before that, like it was not a running oriented football team. Um, it was a team that tried to be running oriented and it didn't work. <laughs> we can, we don't, we've been down the tail of that tape before, but uh, for the last seven years, right? Running has been the core of this team is what Fitz wants to do. He, he wants to build this team in the vision of what he played in under Gary Barnett in 95 and 96. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I He's never said that out loud, but I'm just everything he has done, the way this program has evolved. What's stunning to me is when you look at what you've evaluated in this in this deep dive around O line and running back. Despite the, you know the, the chaos of, of the recruiting and running back, the you know, inconsistency and, and poor hit rate that's happened in the offensive line, but the production we've still gotten out of running back. Even with the the deficiencies at O line, like those two those two positions are are very complementary in a lot of ways, and that's it's just a very interesting juxtaposition of of how this is all played out, and and there's some real um, some real non non intuitive uh, things that have come about. But I, I'll go back. I, I said it before with Kurt Anderson and Louis Yeni is the same deal, right? He has an opportunity to really impact the the position that that he's taking over um you know i i think i'm i'm hesitant to lay a lot of uh concern or blame or whatever at matt at matt mcpherson's feet um he seems like he's been a really solid recruiter running back feels a little bit more like bad luck in some ways than o-line but um much like kurt anderson lewis any has an opportunity to put a stamp on on this position group and uh, really, really pay dividends for for the program going forward. Even though this has been a really productive unit historically. And, and one last thing before we uh, move on, you know, you you always get with Northwestern some position changes that you just weren't expecting. Like every yeah. year, we we go into spring and they're like, oh, Warren Long is now a linebacker, or you know, someone switching from corner to wide receiver. Like, there's always some position changes and. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe someone, you know, from a deep position on on D made the switch over to to running back. No idea who that could be, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. It's, I mean, it's it's possible. I think one of the questions is Jesse Brown. You know, is always he's had a hard time getting on the field. Um, I think his ability, if he's healthy and his ability to contribute, would be valuable in terms of depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's we you're losing a couple of guys, and again, we're we're so lucky to have John Moten this year. Um, but but you know, we'll have to replace him next year too. So you're right. I mean, whether from from wherever, um, we got to lose, got to start bringing the guys in. But I've I've got faith. Yeah, and for every Warren Long that that you move over to linebacker and it goes you know reasonably well, there's also 
you know, the Marcus McShepard situation where we moved him from, from DB to wideout because we were so deep at DB. And then we were like, oh, God, move him back, move him back. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, um, yeah care, careful on that front, right? Sure, sure. Uh, real quick, as we move on, um, do you want to briefly talk about the NFL? Uh, before we talk about uh, the playoffs, wanted to mention the Senior Bowl is going on right now. Um, Clayton Thorson had been given an invite to play in the Senior Bowl, uh, but due to the ankle injury he suffered at the Holiday Bowl, had to uh, withdraw. It was interesting, you know, just kind of seeing some tweets about this. Um, you know, someone was saying that they had spoken with, like some draft expert had spoken with a number of uh, GMs or uh, NFL personnel of up to 10 teams and, Everyone said that Thorsten had at least a third round grade or better. So that to me, that seems a little high. I know, I know quarterback is, is pretty shallow. It, it's a thin group this year. And trust me, as a Broncos fan, I, I know how, exactly how shallow the QB class looks. But, um, you know, I love the guy, but I, I don't see Clayton Thorsten, you know, any more than like a fifth or a sixth round pick. Yeah, I I I can buy it, and I'll 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 put it this way. Um, I think what teams look for there's there's a model out there that has been um, a very simple model, I might add, that has been pretty successful at assessing success of college QBs in the pros, and it it basically uses two metrics. One is games started in college, and completion percentage in college. Um, Thorson ticks the box on both of those. Now his completion percentage numbers are not fantastic. He topped out at 60, just above 61% this year. 60 is kind of the barometer. Like you gotta be above 60. This is why when, when Josh Allen went number, whatever overall last year, I was just like beside myself um, that anyone would pick him that high because he's not an accurate thrower. I think, I think you can make some commentary around, Clayton Thorson's accuracy and how consistent it is. He, he certainly goes through spells where he starts to spray the ball. How much of that is a product of the offensive line? Um, some of the coaching stuff we've seen. I mean, who thought, who thought Trevor Simeon would be a viable starter in the NFL uh, for as long as he was coming out of Northwestern. So I look at his completion percentage has gotten better every single year. Um, he's thrown for, over 3,000 yards two of the last three years. He got pretty close in 2017. Um, yards per attempt is probably the biggest red flag, and then he th- he's thrown a lot of picks. It's hard. It's very hard for me to not like immediately discount a third to half of those picks because they were like tip drills off of off of players' hands. But I know that also comes back to accuracy a little bit as well. So I I can I mean NFL teams. It, it has become so clear that the the quarterback lottery is the most important thing in the NFL. Like look, look at the teams that are left. They are all quarterback driven. Um and I well, should say look at the teams well, that were that were left <laughs> <laughs> this past week. They're all quarterback driven. When you go when you can go back the prior week before with the exception of Philly, all quarterback driven. I um it's it is it is the thing that makes the wheel turn in the NFL right now. Um, virtually every other position 
You can make some arguments about defensive line, but virtually every other position is pretty much interchangeable. Um, you can find a guy who can be productive for cheap. It is all about hitting a quarterback and filling out the rest of your roster while you're paying that quarterback his rookie salary. That is the formula in the NFL right now. Um, unless unless you're the New England Patriots and you have you know Tom Brady taking less money than he's worth, uh, Bill Belichick and a, and a and a situation that just draws free agents like like moths to the flame. But I digress. Point being. I could buy Thorson ending up in the third round. Um, I, I mean, a first-round pick seems very generous. Uh, even second round, unless there's a run on QBs. But come third round, I mean, uh, uh, who was that guy out of, out of Baylor? Bryce? Um, Bryce Petty? Bryce Petty was like a fourth-round pick, wasn't he? Like, there's, like if, if, if you can throw, and Thorson can throw, and you've started a bunch of games, you've won a bunch of games, and you're above 60% completion, you're going to get drafted and you're going to get a shot because of, of just the mechanics and, and the economics in the NFL right now. And, and plus, Thorsten does have that kind of NFL size, right? Yeah, yeah, he, Tall, he, he, t- he ticks body. all the boxes, yep. And he makes he makes all the throws. Um, I, think, I think you make a good point, and I think we've talked about this before, too, that we're you know we're so deep in it that we've you know we've done nothing but evaluate Clayton Thorson for four years and I think outside of the program people see a guy with you know decent pocket presence uh, a great frame can make all the throws and has won 36 games as a starter so um, he certainly has all those things going for him I would guess that he'll you know I think he pulled out of the senior bowl he's got this nagging ankle injury I think he needs to be thinking about the combine uh, I I bet, or pro day I, or I pro bet, day. I think I wouldn't be got, surprised if he just does pro day, right? Or com, at, combines in uh, mid February, right? Yeah. So he's so I he's mean, got it, a, he'll he'll go to he'll go to the combine. How much you know, he does at the combine probably yeah, remains to be yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he could and he could throw at the combine and not run you know some of the other drills or things like that. But I have but I think he'll look really good throwing the ball. I think um, he's got a great arm. He can make all the NFL throws. Um, I think from our perspective, my thought is, you know, <clears throat> any notion that he is a mobile quarterback, I mean, just you should dispense with that. He's an immobile quarterback with great top end speed. Um, I think that's the easiest way to to sum it up. Um, he's not a guy with a great. I, I don't know. You could juke the hell out of a uh, out of a linebacker from Ohio yeah. State. Well, he had that one moment, but he's but he's not a guy with great instincts on when to leave the pocket, when to go. Um, He's a guy you need to protect, but then you could make the argument, and certainly we made the argument about Trevor Simeon, that you know you put an NFL line in front of Trevor, and suddenly he's able to do things that he couldn't necessarily do when he was at Northwestern. So um, the same may hold true for Clayton, um, but I think he's he's someone where someone you know I would hope that uh, you know that a, t- a good team with an established line, like say let's say the Colts, that the Colts take him to back up Andrew Luck. That's his ideal situation, right? Where the Colts are like, we want you to back up our big gunslinger. We've got a good offensive line. We trust you to come in and make the throws as the backup. Like, that's the kind of situation where I think he could really excel. And again, I think so much of the reason we tend to overgrade Northwestern players or have in the past is because um, it's always hard to know, you know, what else is out there. And 
it's if this is a lean year for quarterbacks, he may very well be a third round grade relative to everyone else who's out there. Um, and we shouldn't pay that short shrift, I guess. Uh, well, before we get out of here, um, you know, we got a few topics that we're going to pick up next week uh, with the Super Bowl. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about uh, NFL versus college overtime and, you know, different uh, ways to tweak the overtime system. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Uh, our fan of the pod, Cat, really wants to hear our takes on uh, how we feel about NFL overtime. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know she does. And, and Cat, just wait till next week. We'll we'll be back for it. Um, but we do want to, uh, you know, kind of bring it bring it down a little bit. Uh, take a moment to um, remember the the life of a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Bruce Painter, who uh, we learned passed away this past week. Um, you know, he was you know a guy who, you know, he lived and breathed Northwestern athletics. You know, his father, uh, John Painter, was the guy for the Northwestern marching band. For years and years and years and years and years, and you know, Bruce took that uh, that purple in his veins. He was in the marching band. Uh, he was part of the uh, the the athletic association, the Boosters Club, um, and you know, it was really sad to, to learn of his passing. You know, he'd been on the pod a few times. Um, it was always great to see him at tailgates, say hi. You know, he would always come and, and track us down to, to say hi. And uh, and talk a little bit. Um, re- really sad to, to to hear the news of his passing. And uh, yeah, he he had a, he had an infectious brand of uh, of love for Northwestern. Um, you 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 couldn't talk to him and not get excited or fired up about the team or the game or you know e- even if even if things had gone sideways. Um, he was uh, he was he was a really fun guy in, in that regard and, and someone who was. He was heavily involved with the Northwestern Gridiron Network. That's he, we actually had him on the pod to talk about some of their activities a, a couple different times. I think he was one of our our first guests, but um, just uh, just a warm and uh, and and large uh, large personality, uh, fun guy that um, many many are missing uh, missing now. So definitely our thoughts are with the are with the Painter family uh, and and uh, Bruce's you know closest friends, et cetera. Absolutely, and I think the one other thing I'd add, you know, from his perspective and just for, from our from our perspective personally toward him, um, he was somebody who was a mover and shaker in the Northwestern community who saw in us people who were as passionate about the sport as he was and took the initiative to come to us and be like, you know, look, what, what can I help you do here? You know, just to say, look, I, you know, I see the way you guys care about the the game the way that I do how can I use my position to help you and it's I think we'll always be grateful for that um and he he truly was a great wildcat and uh, a great friend for us uh so on that little bit of a somber note we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week um head to our website westlotpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook find us on twitter at Westlot Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbaugh and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.